The number one thing was the, the state of mind, the reference, that block of it feels weird to ask for money. The second was a system because I really didn't know how to go about doing it. It's like, okay, great. You know, now I feel natural doing it. It's okay. But how do I go about doing it? Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 7 Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. And we just got done with our marketing series. So we had four podcasts that we talked about marketing. We dug into lots of different marketing channels for you guys because getting leads is probably the thing that most people are at least telling us that they're struggling with most. Any investor, whether it's a newer investor or a more seasoned investor that's doing a lot of deals, the cost of marketing is obviously going up. So hopefully some of the things that we shared, the tips and tricks are going to help you guys dig into some of those different channels that work for you best. And then we had Susan Lasser-Lyons come on and talk about her book, Getting the Money, which was incredibly influential to me, even from the very beginning of my real estate journey, really kind of shedding that um, that that alter ego, right? So shedding that superpower, that person that I was trying to hide and say that, hey, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about my house flipping or my wholesaling uh, until I'm really established and I've done a lot of deals, but being able to put yourself out there and really talk about what you're doing to raise money. So what we thought we would do is do a couple of podcasts with some of our members who have used the strategies that Susan and I talked about on her podcast to actually implement in their business to raise millions and millions of dollars. So I'm really excited today to now take what we talked about with Susan and take it into a practical application from a wholesaler and flipper that's been using these strategies and has a system around it that can share with you guys on this step-by-step exactly how to do it and how he's raised a bunch of money. So I'm excited. We're right here in Nashville, although we're in two different uh, buildings, but uh, Brandon Cobb is with me today uh, from Nashville. So welcome, Brandon. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah, thanks for coming. So if We've done this in the past with some of our members, kind of sharing their seven-figure flipping story and basically kind of what they were doing before, kind of how they found the group and how they came into the group and what it's like now. And uh, if you could just take a couple minutes to share kind of your story of going through the past and the present and what's, what it looks like going forward for you. Yeah, sure. So uh, let's see. I'm 29. I've been doing this for a little over two and a half years. Before I got into real estate, I was doing medical device sales. So loved what I did. Thought it was really cool to be in the hospitals every day, but I was working like 100 hours a week. And I'd always known that I I wanted to do my own thing, but I wasn't really sure about what. And, um, you know, I'm not a natural entrepreneur. I definitely didn't have the uh, cojones to take the next step and just quit my job and start doing something. Uh, but one day I got a call from my boss. It was Friday and, uh, you know, he brought me down, sat me down and he pretty much just let me go. And I was super confused. I had, had no clue why. Um, but I was like, I'd always budgeted and kind of saved money. And I was like, well, you know, this kind of sucks because it was my dream job. But, you know, I've read some real estate books. Let's give this whole real estate thing a shot. So I was, I kind of described the first six months as just wandering around in the dark. I had no clue what I was doing. I was reading some books. I was like, all right, well, let me go and, and try to make some offers on Zillow. I was on Zillow. Um, I think I was like looking at investing in Chattanooga and like researching rental rates. I, I literally was all over the place. Started going to all the real estate meetups. Uh, and I was like, I've just, I've got to find somebody that kind of knows what they're doing, maybe piggyback off them. And I'd read some books where it was like, how to get a mentor. 
and add a lot of value. That's what I kept hearing, add a lot of value. So I was like, all right, cool, I'm gonna find somebody, I'm gonna add a lot of value to them, and that's how it's gonna work. So I met this guy at, uh, you know, it was funny, it was Starbucks. Uh, he's actually still my business partner today. His name is Vigif. But I, uh, I showed up to this meetup, and no one showed up to it. And I posted a little group for him. I was like, hey, my name is Brandon, here's my phone number, if you show up, I'm here. Well, no one showed up, and so I just sat at Starbucks, started doing some work, and 20 minutes later, he showed up, and he'd been doing some deals, and kind of knew what he was doing. The first 20 minutes, we didn't even talk about real estate, but then he was like, well, you know, what do you want to do? And I, and I kind of explained it a little bit to him. He's like, well, you know, try, try these things, and uh, let's go out and do it. So I started putting up some bandit signs. We got a call. Uh, we ended up closing on our, our first deal like three months later after putting up all these signs and answering the phones. And it was in Shelbyville, Tennessee. So we were, I was driving like an hour and 10 minutes every morning. I was waking up at 5, 6 a.m. to drive down. You know, he kind of found some contractors. I was kind of managing them. So I was literally showing up, never managed a project before. I had no clue what I was doing. I'd never even done any contracting work myself. So I had nothing to go off of. And uh, six weeks later, we, we finished this flip and, you know, we made a little money off of it and I had hit my deadline. I told myself, you know, I think I got let go in June and in December, I was like, I'm going to, you know, give it six months. If I don't make any money myself, then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go jump back into medical sales. I'll get another job and I'll do it. But, you know, we ended up closing on that property in like, I think the first week of December. So I was like, well, I made some money, so I guess I got to keep doing it. And so we just rolled that money back into the business and uh, just started figuring out the, from there. So we started doing some onesie twosie deals. We invested in some mailers, really had no clue what we were doing. That led to another uh, wholesale that we did. And that led to like a new construction project that we ended up trying to do, which was an absolute nightmare. Uh, don't build a house if you don't know how to build a house. That would be the best <laughs> advice I could give to somebody. I, I figured it out, but eight months later, it was total disaster. So we were all over the place. We we're trying to do wholesaling. We we're trying to do these, these new construction flips. Um, you know, I was going down to a bunch of hard money lenders at these events and just trying to just all over the place sporadic. Nothing was organized, but I was learning, learning a lot. Um, so that's kind of my initial steps. And then uh, I was doing some research and I was on, uh, who did I call? I think it was like an app. I was looking at an app. I think it was Deal Machine. And I was talking to the owner and he was like, hey, um, you know, there's a lot of people that use this app. You know, there's someone down in, in, in Chattanooga that, you know, they've got like this mastermind and they use this app. I was like, mastermind, what's that? And so he told me a little bit about it and I was like looking it up. So I was on the website and I saw some people that I knew and I, you know, I pitched to my business partner. He's like, dude, we don't need that. Um, we've got, you know, we can spend that on marketing, whatever. And then I, you know, showed him the website. He found somebody he knew in like another market. He's like, oh my God, we got to do this. So we ended up joining this group in, I think it was July of 2018, I want to say. And uh, from there, we've got a bunch of systems and the next steps on what to do. And it became really streamlined and a lot more organized. And we were able to kind of get our, our, feet underneath us and, and really start making some traction. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> so what does it look like now? So what is, uh, so you guys, it's, it's interesting because your story sounds so familiar. Uh, you know, I, when I was getting started, I was just trying to figure it out, right? Reading books, hustling, putting in the work, meeting people, just asking questions and learning, learning, learning. And a lot of times learning by doing, right? Falling down, failing. You, the new construction project sounds just like some, some of the things that I did in my business that just didn't work. I was all over the place trying to do lots of different kinds of deals. I had no focus. And then you come in here. So what's, what does it look like now for your business? 
Yeah, great question. So now we're doing anywhere between three and four deals a month. You know, we've changed our business model as a Q3 last year. We were just strictly doing wholesaling, but now we've come across all these flips that are like, you know, it's only going to take three, four weeks to remodel this. Why don't we do this? So now we've got a project manager. We've got a, you know, laborer guy who does a lot of the punch out, paint, all that minute stuff. Um, so we're really able to bang out these quick and easy flips really, really fast. You know, we've got, you know, um, partnership with a brokerage. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, you know, we've got some private investors now. We're not, you know, raising as much hard money. Um, so it, it's made the cash flow a whole lot easier. Uh, I still personally do all the sales for my company. You know, we're looking for a sales rep. So I still run that position. We've got a lead intake that answers all the phones. So I don't have to deal with that anymore. Um, I don't even see the houses uh, most of the time. My, uh, my project manager pretty much runs those from start to finish, which that, that was my biggest thing was I, I'm not good at contractor management. I hate it. Um, that's how I would describe hell to me. If I could wake up and do something every single day and be in hell that managing contractors, that, that's mm. how I'd describe it. But, uh, <clears throat> but he's really good at it. He loves it. And so my, my life's a whole lot better now that I don't have to do the whole construction contractor management side of things. Nice. And your business partner is in the military. Is that right? Yep. He is in the military. Yep. Active duty. Active duty. Yep. So is he constantly in the projects or, or in the business or what does it look like for him? How do you guys kind of split those roles now? Yeah. So he pretty much manages all the construction projects. The project manager and the laborers are under him. So he'll show up every single day, you know, after work, go buy all the projects, make sure we're online. Uh, you know, he'll hustle some construction jobs. You know, we've started growing and scaling the construction company to do some work for investors as well. So we're kind of trying to get that on its feet a little bit, but he's pretty much all handles all the construction. I don't even look at the houses. I don't see the houses. I don't build any budgets. I just go negotiate. The, I find the deals and negotiate the deals and then hand them off to him. So you guys are doing what you're, you're best at, right? The area that you're best at. So yeah, I love it. And being active duty myself, I know how um, difficult that can be with a, another full-time position while still working inside the business. But it sounds like you guys have some great systems set up where he doesn't necessarily have to be on site all the time. He's managing people from a distance. Right. Yep. There's a way to do it. Yep. For sure. Okay. So um, it's, that's, that's interesting. His story is almost, it's very, very similar to mine when I look back, you know, just kind of running around. Um, obviously I didn't uh, jump into a business partner, but I was doing probably twice the work that you guys are, are having to put together. And it was, it was a challenge in the beginning, but you, your work ethic, I wrote down like you, you're hustling, you're learning. It's just sounds so familiar to me that you, I, I know you well enough to know that you're just not going to quit and you're going to work and work and work. And I think this money raising topic that we're going to talk about is a direct result of that. You coming up with a plan, putting it all together, and then building out a system and, and, and executing it on it on a daily or weekly basis. So let's jump into that. So as we get started, what is, um, tell me a little bit about kind of reading that book, Getting the Money. So Susan and I talked about it a lot, but what were some of the big takeaways for you that you heard from that that you implemented in this uh, business and the system? Really two things. One is a frame of mind and a system to use. So I've always been really, really weird about asking for people for money. I hate it. I never, I can honestly say I've never like asked my family for any money. Um, I'm just weird about borrowing money. Um, so I always kind of had that block, but I didn't mind reaching out to like hard money lenders who are familiar with the industry because that was kind of what they did. And I was like, all right, well, this, this seems natural for me to, to ask in this kind of environment. So I would do that. So, um, I always struggled with that. I always struggled with asking for it. So when I read her book, she basically made it where 
I thought of it like, it's, it's okay. You're, you're doing people a favor after doing this for, for two years. I was like, wow, I've made all these hard money lenders, all this money. Why not kind of keep it in the family, you know, with friends and you know, other people, why not make them money and do what I'm doing best and just, just switch it a little bit and make a, make a scenario where more people are going to win, you know, including me. So the, that was the number one thing was the, the state of mind, the reference, I, I, that block of it's, it feels weird to ask for money. I know I didn't have that block anymore after reading the book. The second was a system because I really didn't know how to go about doing it. It's like, okay, great. You know, now I feel natural doing it. It's okay. But, you know, how do I go about doing it? So th- those were the two biggest takeaways. And, and I can touch base and go into that a little bit more if you want. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about it. So what was, um, you used the, I, I noticed that you used the small group accountability to help you kind of hit your actions on a regular basis to raise a certain amount of money. So why don't you just tell that story a little bit? Like what was your plan from last quarter going in and why? Yeah. So I had a goal, a three month goal to raise a million dollars. Uh, you know, I thought it was pretty aggressive, but i wanted to hit it. And so one of my actions was to go to two real estate meetups per week, uh, specifically to go and just network with people who are in the industry. So you've got these people who will show up there that, you know, are usually older and they've got rental properties and they want to network with like-minded individuals who like real estate. And I noticed that when I would go to these meetings, I, I intentionally wanted to go and sit beside these people. I wanted to go sit beside these people and I wanted to strike up the conversation. So I'd literally go and I'd show up. I wouldn't show up too early. I'd show up kind of like where, you know, the room was kind of half filled and I could kind of take my pick of the seat and I'd go sit by the old, oldest people I could find. And then from there, I would kind of start a conversation. They'd say, all right, you know, what do you do? And I would try to bridge the, the gap between two like-minded things that they could kind of understand. And I'm, so I'd say like, well, we're, we're kind of like the Merrill Lynch or the Charles Schwab HGTV. Like, what? what? What does that mean? You know, because they could bridge those two things. I was like, well, we put together lucrative real estate uh, deals for our investors so that we can give them safe returns. Like, what? What do you mean? And from there, what I would do is I had a letter. Uh, this, I've had some hard money lenders mail me letters trying to pick up my business. So I, would, I took a picture of them. So I'd pull out that letter and I'd show them. But like, I got people mailing me to lend me money. Isn't this crazy? And they're like, what? Like, what do you do? So then I'd go into it and I'd say, well, you know, we, we raise money and we lend it on properties. I pay a 10% return on investment uh, to my investors. It's backed by a promissory note and a deed of trust. Um, you know, we protect everybody that way. And, you know, we never see the money. It gets wired directly to the title company and directly back to them. Um, have you invested in real estate before? And of course, if you're sitting at a real estate investor meeting and it's an older person. They're like, well, yeah, yeah, I have. And I'm like, okay, what kind of deals do you like to do? And you kind of open it up from there. And I'm like, well, have you, have you ever thought about doing something like this? And they're like, well, no, but I bought properties before. I know what you're talking about. And you know, then from there, I'd say, what kind of returns are you getting on your money right now? And they'd say, well, you know, I'm not really sure. I probably need to check into that. Or they'd say, well, you know, I'm getting, you know, two, 3% uh, with a bond or, you know, couple tenths of a percent in a bank or, you know, five or 6% on an annuity. I'm like, well, if I could show you how to make 10% and, and back it by an asset that you understand, would that be something that you're interested in? And, you know, sometimes I'd say, no, I'm not looking at an investor. I'd say, yeah, actually that, that'd be interesting. I'd be like, well, hey, you know, uh, do you get coffee? I'd love to take you from some coffee sometime. Uh, take you by some of our projects. You can come check them out and, you know, see if it might be a good fit for you. So at that point we'd schedule a time, I'd get them in my car and then we'd go and I'd show them all the projects. And of course, it looks really cool because our crews are all wearing the HBG construction shirts and it looks really, really professional. And I'm showing the projects and I'm showing them the margins on everything. And I'm showing them, you know, what kind of returns the investors get. And they're like, wow, this is really cool. And the whole time I'm doing this while I'm in the car, 
with them. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm selling myself, right? You know, I'm talking about me, what we stand for, and not just how much money I can make them, but people can really get behind a why, right? So when I'm talking to them, I'm, I'm really selling them on the, on the, the changes, the why behind it. So I'm like, you know, hey, we were able to help this person out of a bad situation. It was two weeks before they were going to get foreclosed on. They had over $100,000 of equity in the house. We were able to prevent that from happening. And we took this house and we created a product that mom and dad are going to feel proud raising their family in. And the neighbors freaking love us because we increase all the property values. And our investors make money and we make money. So we're going about, we're changing lives one house at a time. And that's something, especially at that age, that they can get behind uh, and that they really, really like. So that was that was action number one was to go to these real estate meetups um, and network and sit beside uh, elderly people and, and try to strike up a conversation. Uh, action number two was to release one video per week on Facebook. So another tool I use are these, these I basically took these before and after videos of all of our flips and I just added an advertisement in there. And if you've got access to, to Fiverr.com, you can get a graphic design done for nothing. So we would create these advertisements showing the before and after, and it would go something along the lines of, um, you know, here's a project we picked up. You know, our investor made X amount within three months while he was, you know, sitting at home um, taking care of his family. You know, he received a passive wire. His money was going to work for him. Um, you know, we want to help you reach your financial goals and dreams, contact us if you'd like to learn more. Um, keep it pretty general. Um, you know, before you go out, I want to say and try to raise a bunch of money, always go and check with a lawyer, get your SEC rules down because there are some, some lines you can cross. But we'd keep it very, very general. Uh, and we would get some interest from those Facebook ads. People would call and inquire. And I, and I had some family members kind of start reaching out to me and they're like, well, Brandon, why haven't you approached me about this? And I'm like, well, honestly, because I kind of felt weird asking family for money and I was kind of awkward, but hey, if you're approaching me, let's talk about it. So I had some family members start reaching out. We started investing using their money. They were super, super happy with it. Um, so from that point, we were like, okay, this this is something that is working really, really well. So we started doing some letters to some people uh, that we knew already had a relationship with and started raising more money. And uh, now today we've got about $1.2 million in uh, private loans out right now. Okay. A lot to unpack there. So, um, first one was one of your actions is to go to real estate meetings and network with other people. So when Susan and I were talking, we talked a lot about the relationship that you're building, right? It's about building a relationship. So you're, I love the quote that I just wrote down, uh, uh, Charles Schwab of HGTV. So that's really cool. When I was on the podcast with her, I talk, I say, when I, people ask me what I do, I say, I'm a real estate day trader. And it immediately gets a response that is, wait, what? What does that mean? It's something that elicits a second question. And your, your kind of first, this is what I do, elicits a second question, right? I want to learn more about that. That's really interesting. So I love that. And then you pretty much used the quote from the book, right? I put together lucrative real estate deals and uh, exactly what we talked about. And then um, I also love what you said where you back it with an asset that you understand. Like that talk track is incredible because now you're talking to someone who already knows about real estate investing. They might be having trouble just like others. So we just came off a series about marketing where people are having trouble finding deals. And these are people that have money that are out there looking for deals. So money's not an issue any, right now. In 2009, 2008, real estate crash, money was an issue, right? Not a lot of people were lending. A lot of people lost a lot in the, in the housing crash. And there wasn't a lot of money out there, but there was a lot of deals. And now we're in the opposite of that market. So now we're at a point where 
there's a lot of people with money that we've got to go out there and say, hey, we have the deal flow, right? You're in this group. You've built the business three or four deals a month. Now you've got the deal flow. You're shifting more towards flipping and you need the capital now. So um, what Susan and I talked about is there's three different types of investors typically. And that first one is that person whose family, friends, no likes and trusts you is getting like a CD 1% has no idea what a point is, doesn't know any of that stuff. And that's a different conversation than you're having at a real estate club meeting typically. So I just wanted to make sure that, that I mentioned the fact that when you said, hey, we do 10% on our money, it's a little bit different conversation than what I would have with somebody who I already know, like, and trust, and I know what kind of returns they're getting. Because usually then I try to find the win-win that they need. And typically it's somewhere around six to 8%. It might even be less. I've I had a couple of people at 4%, 5%, but that's a conversation typically with that you're not having with a savvy investor who might already be investing in the stock market or know um, what all of their dividends are paying and all of that stuff and, or is already investing in real estate or does hard money loans. So you're, you're approaching them with, Hey, this, this is what we do here. If you want to be a part of it and you're building that relationship with this person from the ground up. Mm-hmm. which is very different than somebody already knowing, liking, and trusting you and coming in like the people that you said are reaching out to you now that are family. It doesn't take as much. If they're making 2%, you say, what if I can double it? They are ecstatic about it um, versus somebody who is looking to get, maybe these people are looking to get 12 to 15 on their rental properties and you're trying to bring them to 10. So I just wanted to make that very clear for the listeners. Um, I don't ever recommend we go out and just give them a number. Now, these are relationships that are being from the ground. You've got to excite them to come in, right? So yeah. and once you get them in, now you are building a relationship with them over time. Like you said, you're driving around and you're basically um, f- from scratch, building up a relationship where they can start knowing, liking, and trusting and understand what you do, know your core values, who you are, what kind of uh, things you're doing for the, uh, for the neighborhoods and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. No doubt you're going to be successful doing that. So how many conversations does that take? Is it, was it easy to go to these real estate clubs and sit down with the older folks or anybody and start up that conversation? Is it a lot of no's? What is that like? Yeah, I mean, you're going to get a lot of no's. The way I kind of structure things is my frame is they need me. I don't need them. You know, money's a commodity. So when I sit down and I, and I have the letter about, this hard money lender who's, who's mailed me a letter and, you know, they're trying to get my business and, you know, I'm showing this advertisement of the before and after of our flips and, you know, how much money we've made them and they can see that and the passive income and I'm showing them the projects and how professional we are. It's kind of like they need us and we don't really need them. So, we've, I've, we've had a lot of success with it. How many conversations? I've probably had I probably had about 20 conversations to get to about 1.2 million, honestly. Um, but you, you got to fish in the right waters, right? You got to know where you're fishing. I'm going to real estate meetups where there's people there who have money, who understand real estate. Then um, I'm not going out to just, you know, random people or anything like that. Yeah. And then how many of these real estate meetups are you going to where there's not somebody there that wants to have that conversation or talk to Like, are you typically going and there's, there's only five or six people there and you're striking out? Is that as a normal thing? Usually, so Nashville's pretty hot for the meetups, I've noticed. Uh, I'll go to some, there's probably at least 15 people at a meetup, uh, anywhere between 15 up to to 30 on average. Some of them, you know, there might be a couple hundred and, you know, there it's just how many people can I talk to? You know, I'm I'm introducing myself. What do you do? Okay. You're not a good fit. I'm kind of in the conversation pretty quick on to the next person. So I'm kind of getting aggressive at some of these meetups to meet everybody. If I go to a meetup, everybody's going to know who I am by the time I leave that meetup. I, I, don't care. I, I'll, I'll take my chair. I'll pick it up. I'll go sit somewhere else. 
uh, you know, to try to meet everybody in the room, um, whatever I can just to get my name out there. Yeah. And I, so what, what I want to get across to people is sometimes if you go to these things and you're, if you, if there's nobody there to talk to, or you're not getting a lender, the first conversation that you have, or the first event you go to keep going, don't yep. stop. It's, it's going to take repetition. It's going to take conversations. I mean, Brandon's saying that he's had 20 conversations to get to that number, but there's probably hundreds of other conversations that you've had that are just like, not a right fit. I'm moving to the next person. These are probably 20 conversations that you're having about what you do where you're going in deeper, right? These are 20 conversations with people who've been like interested in yeah. what I do, right? It's now there's, there's been tons of other conversations where it just, it wasn't a good fit and you know, not a good fit. Sorry. Yeah. I don't, I, mean, I don't even know how many it's, there's, there's a lot. <laughs> this is a pure, if you think of this as a pure marketing funnel, just like you do for your leads, just like you do for your buyers, if you're sending send, send wholesale deals, this is a funnel. You've got a bunch of people at the top that go in and he's, he's loading his funnel with a really like quality people in an area where they're interested in investing in real estate already. So you've already dropped out the first top of and all the other people that aren't interested in doing this. And you've got people who are excited and interested about coming there. You're having these conversations, then you're going deeper with some other people. And then from there, you know, some people say yes, some people say no, or typically they probably don't say no. If you're having in-depth conversations, you're taking them around. They might just be saying not right now. And then it's just right. take a little bit of follow-up to get them excited and get them interested. And that's when you continue to do the video series and stuff like that that you're doing. So don't get discouraged. You're going to have a lot of conversation. Look, the more no's that you get, the closer you are to a yes, right? Everybody's heard that. And just what if you're not a good networker? Like you're obviously a good networker. You will meet everybody. Like you said, you go to a meetup and by the end, everybody knows who you are. What if you're not? Like, what recommendation do you have for somebody going to these real estate groups? Or is there another strategy that they could potentially use to raise some money? Yeah, the, the videos on Facebook. You don't have to talk to anybody. None. Yeah. If, you, if you've got a good guy on Fiverr, a good graphic design artist, and you've got some before and after pictures of your projects, you know, we make ours look pretty professional. Um, that's all you need. And then from there, you know, you might have people start reaching out to you. Uh, that would be one way I would recommend if you're not a good networker is start, start advertising. Yep. I, I, I'm not the guy who shows up at the meetup groups and is going to go around. And t there was a guy at our Pensacola meetup group that just stands at the front door and hands out his card and shakes everybody's hand as they walk in. Like, Hey, do you know me? Do you know me? Do you know me basically? And I'm the guy who I will just like sit in the corner and I'm a little bit of an introvert and a little bit uncomfortable going up and, and introducing myself to people. So for me, my big thing was who do I already know? Who do I, who already knows me? Who do I already like? Who do I already trust? Who already likes me? Who already trusts me? And so I went to more of my warm network and I started doing what you said, where I would put the information out there, just organic um, videos, posts, comments, things like that on social media and just talk about what I'm doing because it's so exciting now, right? HGTV has made our job easy. Yes. They have glorified house flipping and glorified the real estate investment world to the point where people want to do that. They watch these shows, they're binge watching these shows. And when they can come into our deals and be a part of it, they feel like they're doing it. Mm -hmm. They can still work their full-time job. They can still do everything, but say they invest in real estate. And when you can use that, like piggyback off of that, that's basically what I did. I'm trying to make this little reality TV show on my Facebook page where all my family was, all my friends were, they're following it. And now they're saying, Hey, what can I do? Can I get involved? And just typically like one comment or one post or one, one thing will drive people into this. You just build up the pressure and they start 
um, getting interested in raising their hand. So for me, it was more of that than it was going out and shaking a bunch of hands and kissing a bunch of babies and doing all that stuff. Cause it's, that's really, uh, I don't know, for some reason, I, I don't love that. Uh, I'll do it. Believe me, I'll do anything to run my business and make it successful, but it's just not my first choice. So for you guys that are out there that feel like that, that's okay, but you're going to have to put yourself out there. Because if you don't put yourself out there, nobody's knocking on your door going, hey, I kind of think you might be investing in real estate. You might want some of my money to, to borrow to make me a return. But like Brandon said in the beginning, it's, it's a, um, you're not doing them a favor. You're offering them an opportunity. And Susan and I talked about that a ton. It's a, that's, that oppor- if, when you can shift that mindset, shift the way you think about that stuff, that's when it changes the game for us in, in raising money. Um, so that video on Facebook, one video per week on Facebook on Fiverr, I, I, I wrote down, it's like a lender testimonial video, it sounds like. Kind of, yeah. That's, that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> and then, so h- how can people see yours? Like if they want to see an example, can they go to your Facebook page? Where do you guys house those? Or are you just sending those out to your lenders on like an email list? No, they're on my Facebook page. Uh, you know, we still post them. Um, I mean, my name is Brandon Cobb. I don't know how else you're going to find me. There's probably a million Brandon Cobbs out on Facebook, but yeah, if you go to my Facebook page. Is it on your page page or is it on the company page or both? It's on my personal page. Okay. So we'll link, uh, if you're okay with it, we'll link your page in the show, in the show notes. They can just click on it and see it. Um, you you good with that? Yeah, that's fun. Okay, cool. So if you guys want to go there, you can kind of see some of those videos. You can see what they're doing. Um, you can kind of follow Brandon. I tell people all the time, like you guys can follow us, Blackjack Real Estate. We're not, I think we need to start doing this, uh, jumping on Fiverr and, and creating some of these. I'm actually just going to, I'm going to go on your page and see what it is and, and hack it too. But you guys should follow the people who are doing this and just see what they're doing and replicate it in your own way. Obviously don't download Brandon's uh, video and post it as your own, but take some of these ideas and concepts and you'll see it like just today. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. It'll go out probably next week, but on Monday, the market took like a 4% hit the stock market. Mm-hmm. Everybody is posting a, the same image from our group about what, what's happening inside their 401ks, their IRAs, how are you, do you really want the ups and downs of the stock market, things like that. They're leveraging this uh, un- uncertainty because of the coronavirus that's happening right now, that's happening, it's infiltrating the marketplace, the market dropped 4% or so. And there's like 13 companies of the S&P 500 that even made money, that even went up at all on Monday. So, People are taking that and using it as marketing collateral to say, hey, maybe you should think about coming into real estate. And when you see this stuff, you'll see some things and some ideas and some tricks that you can use to start just triggering something in people's minds. They're following it. The uncertainty happens. Everybody runs away. They're going to go somewhere and bring their money somewhere, right? So, okay. Then you talked about letters. So, what are the, what are the letters like? Are they actually like, uh, are you pulling a list of, of lenders in your area and then you're sending a specific letter? What is that like? No, I'm only sending letters to people that I have some kind of relationship with. Again, always check with an attorney. Um, don't listen to any anybody unless they're an attorney when it comes to doing any kind of raising private money. So, everybody I mail letters to is somebody that I have a, a current relationship with. Uh, it's either a friend, family member, somebody I've met at a, at a REN meetup. So, that's I'm not pulling any lists or anything like that yet. Okay, nice. So, warm network, just sending something to say, hey, if you're interested in getting a cup of coffee or getting together or something like that, then let's talk about this. Um, that, I think that's great stuff. There's a lot of people that will find local p- private lenders in their market, pull a list and list source and see who's lending on real estate. And then what you say in that letter is important, just like you said. There's some SEC uh, issues that could come up if you're making an offering. Um, but, you know, 
I'm not going to give you a recommendation. I, I highly agree with Brandon is, you know, check with somebody who knows what they're talking about. If you talk to five different SEC lawyers, they're going to give you five different answers too. I've noticed when I talk to them. So, yeah. you know, uh, figure out what you're comfortable with, what you think should happen and, and start having those conversations. That's building, um, you're building these relationships. This is a relationship business in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. So, so then what? You've got this person. So, okay, we've had the conversation at the RIA meeting. We're bringing people into the funnel via, via videos. You're taking these actions. And then you've got somebody who says, hey, I want to, I'm in. Like, what, what happens now? What is the conversation like now that they say, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. What can we do? Uh, we take them by a deal that we've got coming up. Say, cool. I've, here's what I've got coming up. Let's go. You're available, you know, during this time. And then we'll go, we'll drive them out there. We'll say, hey, here's the purchase price of the property. Here's the seller's distress situation. Here's how we're helping them. Uh, this is the rehab that we budgeted for it. Uh, you know, are you comfortable with this? And they'll usually say, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So from that point, I basically put them in touch with the title company. And I have the title company draw up a deed of trust and a promissory note. And we set the closing date, they wire the money and, you know, from there, they're, we'll send them pictures and give them updates throughout the process. We want to make them feel like, you know, kind of like they're involved. So we'll send them updates, we'll send them pictures, we'll show them the, the after MLS listing, they can see it, check it out. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they get excited, you know, after the first deal, they're kind of like, all right, well, when, when's the next one? Yeah. So, okay. So they've, they've gone to the property, they've seen it. They say, are they lending a hundred percent on this deal? So they're lending all the purchase price, all the rehab costs, which just walk me through a little bit of the structure of that. And maybe it's different for different people, but look, there's people that are listening to this who are going, it sounds so easy for Brandon and Bill when they're talking about this, but it's really hard for me. Like you remember, like, let's try to think back to our first deal where you're like, Oh my gosh! Like, what is what is a deed of trust? What is a mortgage? I, like, <laughs> I have to a promissory note and this. The title company is going to do it, or I have to I have to draw up paperwork. Do I need an attorney? Like, it can get really confusing if you remember. So we're at a point now where we've raised millions of dollars, and you're kind of like, yeah, it's easy. But so we take them to the property. They say yes, I'm in. Now, are you having them uh, do a hundred percent of the the purchase price and rehab costs? We get all the rehab up front. It helps out with cash flow tremendously in our in what we do. Okay, so they're they're giving you all the purchase price and all the rehab money up front, and it's so it's going into escrow, or is it going through escrow? So they wire it to the title company, then it goes all goes to you up front. Correct. Yep, they wire it into escrow. We close on the property, and then the remaining balance is then given to us in the form of a wire or a check from the title company for the rehab of the property. That's awesome. So that's huge because a lot of times, what most almost there's there's a few hard money lenders that I know that will fund a rehab up front, but not many. So most of the most of the hard money lenders will they won't even lend you 100% of the purchase price unless you're in our mastermind group where we just got a great deal, right? So shameless mm -hmm. plug there for lending home. And they'll do 100% now, but most of them are 90% of the purchase price. Mm -hmm. And then the other 10% comes out of your your pocket or some other lenders, and then the rehab costs you're also paying and then you're getting a draw after it's done. So it's unless you have us. yeah, it, it, it kills Cash flow crushes us, right? It was killing us. We've got eight projects going on right now. And it, it, had we had to come out of pocket, you know, 10% of the purchase price plus front some of the rehab in order to get a draw, I mean, we'd be out of pocket. 200 grand, there's no way we'd be able to run our business. There's no way. Yep. And then if, if the house sits on the market a little bit longer than expected, or somebody falls out of escrow during inspections or all these things happen, right? And then you've got another purchase, uh, property that you're purchasing to try to use those funds. It's just the real estate cash flow roller coaster that I see happen. And we've, 
you've heard it. We've done podcasts on that recently because it's, that's a huge problem that we have going on. So, so for us, if you can borrow 100% plus the rehab cost, that's amazing. Like, it's just so hard to get. And a, a lot of people that I find are, are borrowing about 105%. And so is there an area that you keep them really comfortable, that they're comfortable in? Is there a like loan to value on the after repair value that you're, that you're talking to them about? Or are they just comfortable with you guys and feeling good about um, how things are going? They're comfortable with us. A lot of the people that we work with aren't just super technologically savvy. They don't understand loan to value or anything like that. You're really selling yourself and you need to, you know, obviously after you've done this for a while and you, you know what you're doing, then you, you know, you can be comfortable actually helping them, right? Like I didn't do this until I'd worked with some hard money lenders before and I got comfortable doing it. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to make some people I know some money. Yeah. And I, a big recommendation that I'll give to everybody that's listening is if you're going to leverage a property like that, make sure you know what you're doing and you're looking at your loan to value for the, you look into the after repair value and you're keeping them in an area where you're comfortable and they're safe. And safe is, safe is a, a dangerous word for me. Uh, I use secure. So I like to say secure. So I secure it to the property. The word safe for me, I've had some SEC attorneys talk to me about this word and just being careful saying safe because then you're saying that this is safe. You're going to get your money back. You're going to make a return. It's always going to be positive. So I like to say secure. I say consistent and I say secure. Those are the two words that I use in my talk tracks when I talk to lenders because uh, yeah, relatively safe compared to something. Um, and even I typically talk about government bonds at that point and saying, well, you're also betting on the government, making sure that they have money, which yeah. we're seriously in debt. So uh, I use the words uh, consistent and secured personally. So you guys can use whatever you want, talk to whoever you want. That's the big thing that Brandon and I are definitely talking about here is that there's attorneys that they make a living off this stuff, right? But I'll tell you what, if you take care of people and you do what you say you're going to do, regardless of what you say, you're probably not going to have a problem because they're going to get their money back. The problem is going to come in when you don't do what you say you're going to do. You screw somebody over. The deal doesn't go the way it was. And you misrepresented yourself, your, your performance, your, what you're going to give them. And then they don't get that. Then that's where you start having problems. And that's, that's what I see when people start getting into some issues. It's because they're not doing what they say they're going to do. So when you're taking care of people, you're, you're living your, your life and your business with integrity, you're going to be okay. So, Okay. So they, so your title company does all the paperwork. That, yep. That's awesome. Yeah. There's title companies that work with investors that know all this, just call around and say, Hey, do you provide services? Do you drop a deed of trust? Do you drop a promissory note if I were to use you guys? And they're yeah, there's, in Nashville, at least, I don't know how it is in other markets, but yeah, there's tons of title companies that will do all that work for you. Yep. I totally agree. And you can, you should, the drafting of legal documents and things like that, if you can start avoiding that as much as possible, let the professionals handle it. Yes. They're recording the deed of trust and, and sending the money through the title company is huge. When you sit down with somebody who's worked with you for the first time, now you've got, uh, you work with another great entity, a good partner, somebody who can handle their money, make sure it's attached, the, the deed of trust is attached to the property, it's all recorded, they feel good about it. And then there's a release of lien at the end of the property, you sell the property, they're signing and notarizing the release of lien, sending it back to the title company at closing, getting their proceeds and doing it all over again. What I did when I was, when I was getting going in this business is my, actually my attorney would keep the funds there. So what would happen is my lender would lend on a property, 
we would get the mortgage uh, attached to the property. So in Florida, it's a mortgage, not a deed of trust state. So, and so for some of you guys listening, some states are deed of trust states, some states are mortgage states. You'll just have to see, and just a little bit different uh, legalese when it comes to that stuff. But there's always a promise, promissory note that attaches to that mortgage or deed of trust to that property. So what we did in Florida was they would wire the money in, we'd close on the property, we'd renovate it, we'd resell it, and then the money would come back and we'd find a place to put it again. So they would actually never have to get their money back and forth all the time where they were sending wires. It would sit in our, our attorney had an escrow account for us that we could get a report. We could show them that it's there. They felt comfortable at staying in our attorney's account. And it's basically just a, a third party escrow account. And then we would just wire it back into the next, uh, in the next deal. It's still there. So it'd go into the next deal. The, the funds would get wired to the seller. We'd get some of the rehab costs and continue that process. So I try to reduce the workload for my lender as much as possible. And for us, obviously, which it sounds like you've done. Yeah, that, that's a great idea. We, we need to start implementing something like that. A third escrow because yeah, they are having to wire it back and forth each deal. You know, until they get comfortable with you, it's kind of a good way to start because hey, look, you got your money back after, you know, three months, four months, you've done it a couple of times. All right, now you, you know, we can have this third party escrow account. That's probably where we're at. We probably need to do something like that. Yeah, it could be nice if, if somebody will do it. They're, they, they're going to take on the, the responsibility, the legal responsibility for that money at that time. But if most title companies that have attorneys, they have built in escrow accounts a lot of times that they're comfortable doing that because they hold cash in escrow a lot. So, And then you could set it up where, okay, if it's been longer than 30 days, we'll send the money back to you. But you're constantly kind of looking for where that, where that money's going to go. And once you've identified, usually I've identified it. I know when the closing is and I've identified there's another week or two or three weeks before we have our next deal but it's already kind of attached to that deal in our mind. So they just know that, okay, that's, gonna, that's, that's there, it's gonna stay there. My lenders, they, they started to get really frustrated. I had people that were like, I'm done notarizing these, like release of liens, I'm so tired of it. So that's when we kind of moved more towards a promissory note where the money kind of moved around a little bit as, as we went. We, it was our responsibility to put it into deals. What I like about the mortgage and deed of trust is it's only earning when it's attached to a property that we're paying out on. So when that closes, when there's a three-week gap, we don't pay any interest when it sits in the escrow account. We're just waiting to put in the next deal. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. So all of this, so how did the, how did the accountability group? So we do the small group accountability inside of the mastermind group. Uh, how did that help with the stuff? Do you feel like that was a help? Do you feel like you would have done it anyway? Or what was that like? Oh, it was fantastic. So I'm a big accountability guy. I love it when I can sit and meet once a week with other people who are working on the same goals. So we were part of this group. Other people in the group had a similar goal. So we're able to network and share like what was working, what wasn't working. And some of those struggles too, because, you know, especially when you have this big goal and dream, whether it's to raise a million dollars or to grow a real estate business, there's so many ups and downs. And sometimes you kind of feel like you're on an island and you're all by yourself and, you know, your problems are unique to you and you're the only one having struggles because, you know, in this glorified world of, Instagram and Facebook, we only see the amazing things that are happening in everybody's life. But to be able to have be a part of a group and, and share those struggles and say, oh, wow, okay, so you're having the same problem. What did you do? It's really comforting. So it helps give you that motivation to get to the next step and actually push your goal through. Whereas some people, if you feel like you're all alone on an island, you kind of feel like giving up. You're the only one having the issue. You don't know what to do. The accountability group gives you that support that you need um, you know, emotionally and um, to get to the next level. Yeah, you were one of the leaders of that group. So first of all, thank you. We have a bunch of volunteers. I think we have 
probably 20 some groups now this session. And yeah, it's crazy. The people that are volunteering to lead a group it have anywhere from five to eight people inside their group. Um, these are all volunteers inside the mastermind group that are really moving the needle for everybody. And Becca's stepping up and she was a volunteer for years doing this, uh, just kind of, hey, I want to do this on the side. And then it has become this huge thing inside of our group. And I think one of the huge differentiators that we have inside of our mastermind, which is amazing, this kind of dedicated small group accountability where we go from meeting to meeting for a quarter where we're all kind of rowing in the same direction together and seeing results. The people that stick around, it was amazing on the cruise to see how many people raised their hand and said, how many of your team members reached their goal? How many of you had at least one, every single person raised their hand, then two, pretty much everybody had their hand up. And then th three members that reached their goals and start kind of about half and then four and up or just a couple. But it was amazing to see how many people were reaching their goals, which we would not have reached without the support. Like you said, that isolation, that, that is the hardest thing as an entrepreneur. You feel like you're on your own, even, even when you're a part of a group like this, I still polled the audience and they said, when I go back from these meetings, sometimes I do feel like I'm on my own. And they shouldn't. We should never feel like that. And a lot of that is on us individually because we're not raising our hand. We're not saying we need help. We're not saying that um, we're struggling and we need some help and throw a lifeline out and say, can somebody help me? And I think that's a, one of the most important things that we can do, whether it's raising money, whether it's looking for leads, whether it's running your business, your cash flow, all of these things, we're not alone. Everybody's going through it. And my goal here on this podcast is to share the struggles just as much as we share the wins. So along that, so you raised over a million dollars. So your goal was a million. And so that quarter, how, you raised 1.2 million that quarter? No, I only raised like 600,000. So I didn't hit my three month goal, but the next month I did hit a million. Okay, so six hundred thousand in the first three months. So you it, technically you didn't hit your goal that first uh, small group accountability, right? So I didn't. how did that feel? Did you feel like you failed, or did you feel good about? It? No, because I had zero dollars initially, and now I had six hundred thousand. So it was like I was like, wow, this is this is a huge success. This is great. I mean, in a, such a short time frame, I had this mindset that went from like I'm literally scared to ask other people for money. It just felt really weird to. I've, I've, I now I'm doing them a favor. Why did I not do this before? I am, I am not doing them a service by not asking them to lend and make them money. Will you ever have a problem raising money again? Do you think? No, no. Yeah. I think that's the biggest takeaway here is what, when you can change your mindset and change the way you do things and change the way that you think about stuff, it, that you can eradicate these, these barriers, these blocks, this, mindset shift that happens is gone forever. And I don't think you'll ever have a problem. If you had a $5 million apartment building that landed in your lap tomorrow, I bet you would go out and find the money and you wouldn't go, crap, I can't do the deal. I can't find the money. You would say, how, how can I? Yep. Finding the money is the easy part now. Yep. And I think that's huge. And so hopefully you guys listening, take, take away a lot of the, a lot of these takeaways, like what are some of the talk tracks? What are some of the things that you need to do? What are the actions that you need to take to implement in your business? What are the, uh, what kind of videos to create and it, go follow the people that are doing this already. Like we are putting people on this podcast who are already doing it. You know that we're doing it. You can look up our Blackjack Real Estate Facebook page and see some of the posts and videos that we make and follow Brandon and follow all the other people. Stephanie talked about what they do. Terry Berger spoke at Flipbacking Live about raising money. He showed a lot of his different social media posts and some of the things that he's done. None of us are original snowflakes. We're all just taking things that other people have done and just refining them and making them how we want them. 
And Brandon is using Fiverr, which I think is genius um, for graphic design to create some of this stuff. I can't wait to jump on there and see what that looks like. And then as you get further down the road, you start sending letters or start kind of ramping this up. And it's just getting out there and, and putting yourself out there, right? That's in the beginning, that's one of the most uncomfortable things to do. I remember raising my hand and saying, hey, I'm a new wholesaler. I'm putting my list in the back, but I had, didn't have any deals. I didn't feel good about that. I, I had this mindset that I wanted to find the deals first and then say, I've got these deals. Do you guys want to sign up on my email list? Instead of what I should have been doing is building my buyers list from the very, very beginning, like very early on, just build the list. And same thing with raising money, raise money, go find contractors before you need them. Don't wait until you have a deal to go find the contractors. Don't raise the money after you have the deal. Like, get out there and find people with money that are interested in investing. You can create a list. You can put them on the list. You can add them to it. So, okay. What kind of, what other advice would you give to them for raising money? Anything else that we haven't covered that you want to talk about that has allowed you to raise that kind of money? If you feel, if you feel uncomfortable doing something, that's when the growth takes place and that's natural. So embrace it. It's going to be uncomfortable. And if it feels uncomfortable, then you're, you're going in the right direction. I love that. Get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's it. You got to break to grow, right? Yep. And so one last question before we go. So you have, you've kind of, uh, I, I know that you've been in the mastermind for over a year, right? You renewed for a second year. So what is that like? And, and kind of why, like what made you decide to stay? Where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you want. Uh, I mean, there, there's a ton of reasons, financial reasons. Um, I mean, if you could go and surround yourself with people who've already made all the mistakes that you're going to make and not have to make all those mistakes, would it be worth it? I mean, I can't tell you how much money I would have saved and just how much, how much stress I wouldn't have had to go through. Had I, my first year when I was all over the place, managing myself, doing what I hated, I didn't even know I, I, I shouldn't have been doing that stuff. You know, as soon as we joined, we got some structure and a, a path, like we knew exactly where to go. That, that, was, that was the biggest thing. We, we just needed to know where to go. And now we're slowly building to that. We know where the next step is. We know what we need to take. We know what we need to do to get there. And we're slowly building this foundation. We renewed because, I mean, one, we do a lot of marketing and the, the, uh, the deals we have with vendors in the group, the group purchasing power allows us to cut probably, I don't know, $20,000 a year off our marketing costs. I mean, it's insane. I mean, that, that alone like pays for the membership. That's just one thing. Uh, you know, if you need uh, an onboarding guide for like a sales manager and you don't have to build that out, like someone in the group has that, you just literally, you can grab it, you can use it and boom, you've got an onboarding guide for your new person that you did not have to build because you might not be a sales rep. You might not know what to do. Um, there's just so many resources that that's why. Awesome. Well, I appreciate having you because not only do you guys, like all of us, you know, we pay to be in the group. We are part of the group. But we also give back to the group. And you're one of the guys that gives back a ton all the time. Like you're always there. You, you are, everybody knows you in the room at the mastermind meetings. You're walking around, you're getting to know everybody. You're spending a lot of time with them. And it's just awesome to see. I think my favorite part of this past year has been, we just went on the cruise and you booked your flight for a month late. <laughs> So why don't you tell that story real quick before we go? Cause I think it's pretty hilarious. Or maybe you want to tell your whole cruise story because uh, you have, you had a pretty wild ride that week. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a rough ride on the cruise. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it, it, something's not going to get done until it's priority. So it was like, all right, boom, the trip's coming up. I already paid for my 
brokers. I'm like, all right, I got to book this flight. So I booked the flight and I think it was like from February 2nd to February 7th or, or 9th or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and it's like the night before it's 11 PM, I'm flying out the next day or so I thought, and I'm looking at my flight and I'm checking in for Southwest and it says March 9th, not February 9th, March 9th. And I'm like, wait a minute. I booked my return flight for a month away. So like I'm on the thing trying to figure it out, calling Southwest, like all the flights the next day are booked. I'm like, God, what am I going to do? And then uh, I, <laughs> I knew you were in the same market as me and I knew you liked to fly. I knew you were a pilot and I was like, God, what, what are the odds that he may have flown down here? So I texted you and I was like, hey, did, did you happen to fly down here? I'm in a pickle. Um, we live like an hour apart from each other. If you happen to fly here, can I have a ride? And you were like, yeah, I've got some room. So I got to go on this awesome plane ride back for, to uh, Nashville from, uh, from Orlando. It was, it was awesome. I'd never been in a six-seater like that before. It was definitely an experience. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious that night. I was, you know, finishing up. It was the last night on the ship. And then I saw the ship has a Royal Caribbean app that has all these, um, you have a way to send messages on the ship just to each other on their Wi-Fi network. And I got this one from Brandon that says, hey, did you fly down here? Do you have room on the plane? And I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll take you home. No problem, man. We're leaving at this time. I had uh, Ashley, my operations manager, she was in the plane. And then we had the, we had the back reserved for a whiteboard so uh, my plan was the whiteboard, we had to pay 200 bucks for this whiteboard on Amazon, <laughs> ship it to the ship. And I was going to bring it back to our office. And I said, well, we'll try to get everything in, but it didn't fit. So I just threw it out, gave it to Arthur and uh, you took the spot for the whiteboard. It was, it was, either, the, it was either the whiteboard or Brandon. That, That's right. Me ride. <laughs> yeah. I, you, you, you add, you add more value to this world than that whiteboard. So <laughs> we, uh, and then we got to sit up front. You got to sit up front. We got to chat. Um, but, uh, Ashley was pretty much kind of like passed out in the back, just relaxing, and listening to the books. And you and I got to talk for the, what was like three hour flight back. So it was really nice to kind of hang out and see your face as we're taking off and flying. You were like, this is so cool. So, I mean, for me, that's a huge part of why I have an airplane, why I do some of those things is to take some people flying and see their reaction because that's, that just feels sometimes it's interesting when you relate this this flying concept, uh, being a pilot with thousands and thousands of hours. I've flown lots of different helicopters and airplanes, and I probably have over 3,000 hours. And it becomes a little bit mundane. It just it, It's like you're punching the clock, right? You take off, you fly to the next location, you land, and you get out. And you don't really appreciate it sometimes. But when you bring someone in the airplane who's never done something like that or has is seeing it for the first time, it's like you see it through their eyes again and you appreciate what you do. That flight, I appreciated more than potentially any other flight that I've done because I could see it through your eyes. And I think the same thing happens in real estate investing. When you get to a point where you've done hundreds and hundreds of deals and you're getting a wire for $50,000, you forget what it's like when you just got started and you're doing your first deal and you're in there and you guys are hustling and looking for that deal and you found that new construction project. You're so excited about it. You're telling everybody you're, that's all, you're living and breathing that, right? And so a lot of times what we do is we lose connection from that. So one thing that I really love of being a part of this mastermind group, doing, you know, working with the seven figure runway group, go running flip hacking live, speaking from stage, meeting people is I can see that stuff back through their eyes again. And I can really appreciate how far we've come and what we've done. So a lot of times, sometimes you need to just slow down, take a look back on where you are and how far you've come. And if you remember that first conversation with that first lender and that first amount of money that came into your bank account and that first deal that you did with a private money letter for the first time and you might change the way that we do things going forward with how we 
treat our, the people or talk to people or do different things. And the same thing for me with that trip. Like I really, I'm actually thankful that you booked your flight a month later. So you got to come spend that time with me because it really kind of opened my eyes to how, how cool it really is to be able to just take off whenever we want from Orlando, fly back, take our bags out, put it right in the car and get going home and not have to go through security and do all that junk and get delayed and all of these things. And it's, it's really amazing when we have that opportunity to do that. And I see it through my five-year-old's eyes all the time, riding his bike, just last night reading his book. He's reading a book, a very challenging book for the first time, five-year-old reading book in bed together. And he read the whole thing cover to cover. And every single second that I encouraged him, I could just see him get like lit up. And I could also see him get frustrated and want to quit halfway through the book because he's yeah. getting tired and frustrated because he couldn't pronounce that word. A little help, a little encouragement. Good job, buddy. And he starts getting up. So anyway, uh, I... Anyway, I'm thankful that you uh, that you messed up on the booking and you got to travel with us. I don't know why you didn't do it from the first place. We could have flown you down there in the very beginning. So next time, we'll coordinate that. Um, but that's what entrepreneurs do, by the way, guys. We screw up our bookings. We need help. We need an admin assistant to basically do all those things for us. Otherwise, we're instead of February 9th, we're booking our flight on March 9th. Um, you probably could have done like four more cruises. Yeah, I know. I could just hung out down in Orlando and just toured the whole Caribbean a couple of times. That's right. Well, Brandon, hey, I had fun uh, today and I think that our listeners will get a ton like actionable items out of this, like the how-to, right? So how did Brandon Cobb raise $1.2 million in what sounds like four months, which is amazing, right? And so if you got 600000 in three and then the next month you got to 1.2, you built up that, you, you understood what you needed to do. So now it became that next month was all of that like a lot of people talk about the Chinese bamboo, right? Growing for years underground before it really just shoots out and grows massive in weeks. So now you've got this where that month you can double the amount of money you raised because you've already put in the reps and the time and you know what you're doing. And that it's exponential from there, right? Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. Keep going. You never know what it's going to take off. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, I appreciate you spending time with me and sharing all this with everyone. And I look forward to seeing you, I don't know, in a couple months there in Atlanta. So yeah, man. All right. Thanks, Brandon. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. What an incredible podcast with Brandon Cobb. I really enjoyed talking to him. There's a lot of things in there that are just gold nuggets to take away, whether it's talking to other investors at Rios, it's about making videos and producing this kind of lender testimonial video and things like that. Um, and just, just incredible to see somebody raise $1.2 million in four months. And that's even less than four months because the actions were taken for the first month or two, probably before that first lender came in. So it's possible guys get out there and start networking, build those relationships. And there's money out there. There's money everywhere. The money should not be your issue. And right when I got off this podcast, I opened my email to just catch up for a little bit. And I got an email from one of my lenders asking if we would accept more money from him. So I want to read it to you guys. Like literally right after I got off this podcast, I got this email and I had to jump back on and share it with you guys. So it says, good morning. I recently purchased a new car and instead of paying for it in full, I took out a loan so I can invest the cash. Would I be able to add to my current holdings with Blackjack? If so, I'd like to send 30,000 this week. So it'll be applied to next month's interest check. So when you guys create the relationships, and my lender probably listens to the podcast, so if you're listening, um, thank you. We will get back to you right away, but um, I'm not going to mention his name or anything like that, 
as I'm sure that you'll all be reaching out to him, asking him for more money. But this is what happens, guys. When you build a relationship, you show a return. They like the return. They want to add more. Susan and I talked about it on our podcast. A lot of times when somebody invests with you, they're just testing you out. They're seeing how you're going to do, how well you do for them. And there's a lot more money behind that. So if you take care of these people, you develop that relationship, you do right by them, the money is going to flow to you and your business. So money should not be an issue. It should not be the reason that you're not getting out there and taking action. There's money everywhere. It is out there everywhere. Go find the deal. Use the marketing secrets that we talked about in the, in the marketing podcast series. Use the money raising secrets that we're talking about right now and go out there and start putting those two together and executing and making money in real estate, whether it's flipping, wholesaling, whatever you're doing. So, um, Okay. We, Brandon and I also talked about the mastermind group, seven figure altitude. So seven figure altitude is a mastermind group that we have that's open year round. We take people all the time. As long as the markets aren't capped, we do cap the markets. So we have a, mar a mastermind meeting coming up in April in Atlanta. And I want you guys to be there. I want, if this is right for you, if this is the next step, take it, stop waiting, jump in, take the step, move in the right direction. You heard what Brandon talked about the reason why he joined the reason why he renews and mainly it's the fact that we've already walked the same path. We've gone down the same journey. Why are you out there reinventing the wheel, bumping into the wall? Shortcut the learning curve, get around the people that are doing the same thing that you want to do and learn from them, you know, jump in there, take action. And he also mentioned the, the marketing discounts. So the discounts that we've negotiated for the group, we have massive, massive discounts from all of our different lenders, our marketing partners, our list providers, basically anybody that we're using at volume, I go to them and I try to negotiate a discount for us because we have incredible buying power inside this group. You heard him say that he's going to save $20,000 this year just from some of those relationships. And we, last year, we saved $85,000 in my company. Now we do a lot of volume. We do a lot of marketing. We, do a, we spend a lot of money, but $85,000 I saved just from this group. And my goal when I joined this group was to make sure, figure out how I could leverage it for my business. And I do. So my goal for you guys is that when you, it costs you more to not be in this group than it would for you to be in this group, whether that's relationships, whether it's business relationships that we've set up, um, relationships with other members, whether it's the events and what you're getting out of it, or these negotiated discounts and we're going out and I'm looking for more and I'm working with two very big ones right now. So I really, really encourage you guys, if you're ready, if you qualify, jump into the seven figure altitude. All you have to do is go to the sevenfigurealtitude.com, the number sevenfigurealtitude.com, fill out an application, and we'll see if we're the right fit with, for you and if you're the right fit for us. And we'll reach out to you, put as much information in that application as you can, and we'll reach out to you guys and see if it's the right fit. And hopefully, you'll be at the Atlanta event, and our next accountability group, small group accountability, starts right at the Atlanta event. So right after that, we roll into the next three months that lead us up to our July event. And then the next three months, small group accountability lead us up to Flip Hacking Live in October. And our members are seeing huge returns on this. This is the thing that is moving the needle. So if you're ready, go to sevenfigurealtitude.com and I'm going to continue to push you guys in that direction because it was the best decision that I ever made in my life. And I can hear it from Brandon. It's a phenomenal decision that he made. And everybody that I bring on the podcast is going to tell you the same thing. So if you're on the fence, if you're thinking about joining, you're, don't wait. You are losing so much potential, so much profitability, so many more deals that you could be getting by some of the t 
tactics and tricks and things that we're using inside the mastermind group and obviously getting around those right people that are going to change your mindset and change your business. So go to sevenfigurealtitude.com and I'll see you on the next podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.